So I want to, I, I, my favorite show, I've told you guys this before. My favorite television show still to this day is Little House in the Prairie. Do I have any other Little House in the Prairie fans? Raise your hand, be proud. There you go. All right. The rest of you can mock us. You can make fun of us. You can pick on us, but we are standing true to El Hop. All right. Um, we're sticking with Little House in the Prairie, specifically the early seasons. All right. That's the ones that I like. But Little House in the Prairie is no different than your favorite show in that you can always tell what's about to happen based on the music, can't you? Whatever your show is, whatever you're binge watching right now, you can tell the direction the show is headed based on the soundtrack. If all of a sudden the music goes from this light, bright, the music, the tempo changes, and there's a lot of strings and a lot of uh, real high tempo, the, the music picks up and everything seems lighter and easier, then you know hope is on the way, right? You know that there's a good ending coming. It's right around the corner because the music leads us there. Same is true when things become dismal or broken or Doc Baker has to go out and make a bad diagnosis, right? All of a sudden, the mood starts to change and the cellos start to come on. The, the music begins to slow down, and you know it's coming. You start getting tense. You start getting worried. You've seen the episode before. You already know what's going to happen. But we turn from hope to hopeless in a television show based on just what the music does to us. You, you can turn the voices off. Just listen to the music, and you know it was something bad or something good. We live in a world that there is so much hopelessness. I don't even have to go into the hopelessness of this week and the brokenness of this week. But as I was researching, I was looking up, what are the causes of hopelessness? I, I want to walk you through some of these. Some of you may identify with these, and I hope that if you do identify with these, by the end this morning, you can stand on the other side of hopelessness looking with hope this morning. What are some causes of being hopeless? You feel alone. The number one reason is you just simply say, I feel alone. Nobody's with me. Nobody's going to bat for me. I feel alone. Life seems out of control. Things aren't going your way. Things continue to fall behind. Bills continue to get behind you. Life seems out of control. You don't have a purpose. You wake up in the morning. You're not sure what to do next, what's taking place next, where you're going next. You don't have a purpose. Or sometimes it falls in line with that. You're grieving the loss of someone. And it just comes on you at random times. You're not sure what brings it on, but there's this feeling of hopelessness. You don't have what you need. You don't have the finances. You don't have the person. You don't have the resources. You, you've done something wrong. You know in your heart you've done something. You've offended someone. You've made a bad decision, and you're dealing with it. You've done something wrong. Reason for hopelessness. You're deeply wounded by someone, someone that you're close to, someone that you love, someone that you care about, someone that claimed to care deeply about you has wounded you. You're pulled in the wrong direction. You're, you're just being pulled in lots of different places, and so you can't get your hope around anything, so you have hope in nothing. Sometimes you're stricken with fear, anxiety, worry, and you're just absolutely hopeless because you can't figure out how to get through that difficult season or when defeat is imminent, when you know things are not going to turn out the way you hope. We get hopeless. Hopeless and hopeful are antonyms of each other, 
One is void of hope. One is brimming with a hope of the future of tomorrow, what takes place. And my guess is today, tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, sometime this week, you're going to experience both set of emotions in one day. Tomorrow's Monday. You, you may wake up tomorrow, I hope this is not you, and your car is not working. We've been having a little car issue in our house, several cars in our house. We've been trying to figure out what's been going on with us, and you, you take your car on a Monday morning, somebody drives you, drops you, picks you up at the mechanic, you drop your car off at your favorite shop, and the mechanic originally tells you you're, you're there, and the mechanic says, you know, I, this doesn't look good, it's, it's going to be five to seven hundred dollars. You know what happens right then. Your entire week is ruined. Your month is ruined. Because you start calculating in your mind, you're going, well, that bill's not going to get paid, and, and that Christmas present is not going to get bought early, if at all. That kid's uh, sporting fees are not going to get played. There's no, there's no cleats or those new shoes that the, my son or daughter needs. They're, they're not going to get purchased. And everything is hopeless. You could turn on the radio, and inevitably every song is going to be bad, Right? It's just all, you walk in the office and somebody gives you a bad piece of papers, a, a news, an email, something that's taking place at work, right when you walk in. But then you're sitting at your desk and your cell phone rings, you turn it on, you, you listen, and, you, and it's the mechanic, and he says, I've got good news. It's only going to cost you between 75 and 100 bucks to fix your car. The hallelujah chorus is going off. Everything changes. The sun comes out. The sun will come out tomorrow, right? And it comes out. Your kids call. They made a straight A's on their, on their report card. That made me more like a hallelujah chorus for some of you than others. And everything changes all in a matter of moments. And it happens to us all the time. The test that you studied for, college student, high school student, middle school student, you knew that you nailed it, you knocked it out of the park, you went in, you were one of the first ones done, and you were filling them all in, and you just walked out. You might as well have had the Rocky soundtrack going off in your mind as you were walking through there. Dun, 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 dun. I got this. It's 100. It's at least going to be an A, definitely in the A category, and... If you're in college, you get your grades now on Blackboard. You turn on Blackboard and you find out you barely made a C. Hopeless. Just like that. Hope is a powerful four-letter word. It's not optimism. It's not fairy tale. I'm a pretty optimistic person, all right? Some of you are optimistic. Your glass half full. Some of you are glass half empty. Some of you are glasses empty. Some of you are the glasses overflowing. I tend to be the overflowing kind. Hope is not optimism. Hope is defined by many as a feeling of expectation, but that's not comforting because things don't always go as we planned, as we saw last week in choosing joy. Today I want us to examine choosing hope. And when the Bible speaks of hope, it is not a warm, fuzzy feeling. It's so much greater than that. So what I want us to see this morning is that we need to anchor our lives, and every single one of us anchor our hope in something. You know what an anchor is, right? Nod your head. At least nod your head that you're awake, all right? Somebody elbow the person beside you. Make sure they're awake, all right? Anchor. An anchor is something you take out. You go out into a boat. A couple years ago in the summer, we went out into the inlets of South Carolina, and we were fishing in a small boat. And the guy that was with us, uh, he said, okay, this is the place to put the anchor down. And so I dropped the anchor, and all of a sudden you can feel it dragging across the bottom of the inlet, and it grabs a hold of something, and it kind of lurches the boat for a moment, and then you, you know, hey, we're settled. 
We're settled in this place. Every one of you in this room, myself included, we anchor our hope in something. You may be here today and you're not a religious person. I want to challenge you. You anchor your hope in something or someone. Every single one of us do it. So what I want to ask you, what I want to challenge you with this morning is what do you anchor your life on? What is your hope anchored to? Is your hope anchored to another person? You're anchored to the hope that the person's going to come along. They haven't come along yet, but you're, you're anchoring your life to that hope. You're anchoring it to another person. Your hope might be anchored to a career path. As long as you're moving forward this direction, as long as things are going this way, your hope is okay. You're anchored to a career path. You're anchored to a minister, to a religious leader. You're anchored to a politician. Sad anchor. Your hope can be anchored to a job. Your hope can be anchored to a job or to a substance. But real hope is anchored to the promises of God's Word. Real hope is anchored to the promises of God's Word. So to find our perspective from Scripture, I, I want us to turn to a passage of Scripture we looked at several years ago in 1 Peter. If you've got your Bibles, if you turn to 1 Peter, we're going to walk through this passage of Scripture over the next few minutes together. And, and here's what I love about Peter, the writer of these letters. He's writing to a group of followers of Jesus, to the early church, and he's writing to them instruction and encouragement. He's challenging them. He's laying down some foundation for them because they're living in some difficult times. But now Peter, here's what I love about Peter. Peter had been with Jesus when he saw the miracles. Peter took a stand for Jesus. He denied Jesus. He was forgiven by Jesus. And he was launched by one single moment in history. And he became the first public speaker of the church. And so I love that this guy, Peter, he's not coming from us from optimism, from going, hey, guys, I just feel good about the day. No, he's coming with a true solution for hope. And again, I want to keep coming back to what is your hope anchored to? All of us anchor our hope to something. Is it anchored in the promises of God's word? I want to read three verses this morning. Blessed be the God, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a what? Say it with me. To a... Let's try it again. To a what? Living hope. So he has provided for us through his great mercy, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last days. I don't know if you anchor verses or you go man we talked uh, earlier in the summer about fighting words verses that you just want to memorize so that you can claim on difficult days on monday morning when you got to go to the mechanic when things aren't going well with ch- children and discipline this is a set of verses this is an anchor set of verses 
Because what Peter does, he doesn't say, hey, let me give you five ways to a better Monday morning. He doesn't say, hey, let me give you three steps to a better marriage because the reality is when two sinners get together, they have problems, right? He's not going to give you 10 easy steps to make your boss love you more and you just go on and smile at them and everything's going to be easier tomorrow. He doesn't say that. Peter's not going to give you a secret to, to not cry when you get news medically that you were not expecting. It's not what Peter does here. There's no falsehoods here. There's no pretension here. Peter is saying, let me give you real hope. Let me remind you of living hope. Because in order to have hope, as we live in this world, we've got to be confident in one moment in history. We've got to be confident in one moment in history, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, here's how you rejoice. Blessed be the God of our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. Mercy is God's undeserved favor. Mercy is the compassion of God on display through the forgiveness of God. Mercy is the compassion of God on display through the forgiveness of God. Years ago, I, I shared this numerous times, but it's just the best definition of mercy that didn't come from a definition or a theological notebook. It came from a, a 10-year-old 10 years ago. I asked a couple of children that were hanging out with our family, I said, what's mercy to you? And one young lady said, mercy is getting chocolate cake when you deserve a spanking. She's exactly right. Mercy is getting, not only not getting the punishment you deserve, but getting something in exchange for it that is far greater than you can imagine. And Peter says, blessed be the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has given to each of us something that you did not deserve, and even far above that. Mercy reveals that our goodness does not earn you a relationship with God, and I'm so happy for that. When you're in school, you always hope that you get that teacher that grades on a curve. I'm not going to ask you teachers in the room to raise your hand if you grade on a curve, but here's the hard part, teachers, and you know this. You kind of hold it over us. You may not say it, but here's the reality. The danger of living on the curve is you never know when they're going to give it. So if you don't prepare for a test because previously the teacher gave you a, little, a few points to get you over the hump and give everybody in the class, but you don't know, are they going to give the curve to everybody in class? Are they going to give it um, just to one person? Are they going to help the person that's failing and get up to a passing grade? You cannot wake up in the morning and not prepare for a test and say, man, I'm just hoping that the curve comes because you never know. I'm so grateful that my faith and my hope in eternity is not based on a curve and neither is yours it's not based on if you can do enough good things today to offset sins of tomorrow because the danger is i don't know how, how many sins does it take how many good things does it take to offset a sin there, there's no calculation in scripture that says well if you do these many this many good things then then it'll over It'll cover over what you did yesterday to your spouse. It'll, it'll take place of, it'll swap out for. No, you don't have hope because of what you have done. You and I have hope because of the great mercy of God. 
He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers hope, living hope, in a hopeless world. The resurrection of Jesus Christ offers living hope in a hopeless world. Peter's audience was a group of people who had experienced difficulties on a regular basis because they had faith in Jesus. Life did not go smoothly and easy and carefree because they were followers of Jesus. This is not new information for us. But but as a reminder, for most of us, we we need just a little bit of a reminder, a little check-in this morning. We believe that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, lived a perfect life, taught with compassion and love, performed miracles, was crucified and buried. But we also believe, according to the Bible and according to history, that on the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared to his followers. He taught hundreds of people after his resurrection. No one in history of that time period, no outside material in that time period has countered that reality that this Jesus was raised from the dead. Because you know what Peter would have had in this passage of Scripture without the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Nothing. Do you know what you would have on Easter Sunday morning without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Nothing. Do you know what you would have to put your hope in and to anchor your life in for the rest of eternity without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead? Nothing. It is the living hope that you have. Case closed. Go home. Because the reality is this. Peter had seen miracles. He had walked with Jesus. He had defended Jesus. He had denied Jesus, even though he had seen the miracles. You know what launched Peter into becoming the voice of the early church? You know what launched him into going around and preaching the message of Jesus? You know what pushed him out the door to become an evangelist and share and be persecuted for the cause of Jesus? It was the resurrection. He'd seen all the miracles before, but then he denied. They were hiding in a house. He'd seen everything else, but the resurrection changed everything. And so here's what he says. You place your hope in the resurrection of Jesus. In what or whom do you place your hope? Please. This morning as I was in my office praying for you guys, I want you to be honest Please answer this question. In what or whom do you place your hope? Is it a living hope based on something that will not, as he goes on to say, fade away? We can have hope because this world is not the end of the story. I would hope for a couple of amens from you on that one because, man, this world is in sad shape, isn't it? Romans 8 said this world is groaning, is in pains of childbirth. This world is broken, it is painful, it is difficult. We can have hope because this is not the end of the story. You have living hope. Listen to what he goes on to say in verse 4. He says, you are born into a living hope that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, 
Hope is built upon an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. I don't know if you've ever thought about your inheritance that you may or may not receive one day from somebody. Everybody's kind of hoping that they've got somebody in their family that they don't know who's just going to magically leave them millions of dollars and life's going to be carefree. In 1992, a waitress um, in Cleveland was taking care of one of her customers that came in every day. He was 82 years old. Later that year, he passed away. He left her half a million dollar inheritance. That's a good inheritance, right? Sign me up, wait some tables, look for the person, hope it'll come your way. Here's another crazy inheritance. Uh, a, a few years ago, a real estate billionaire, her name is Leona Helmsley, left $12 million to her pet dog. Nice puppy, right? She did leave $10 million to the guy to take care of her, of the puppy. I I don't know anybody that's got that kind of inheritance, but an inheritance, even that amount, even what that can purchase, guess what happens to it? It fades away, it gets spoiled, it gets spent, it's gone. Listen to me this morning. What do you place your hope in? Does it have the same promise based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Does it have the same promise? Is it imperishable? Yesterday I went grocery shopping. As a part of grocery shopping, what did I have to do when I came home and opened up my fridge? I had to do what? I had to put the groceries in. Before I put the groceries in, I had to take the bad groceries out. The things that were in the back of the fridge that are mysterious. The things that you go, huh, I think that was one time this. Why? Because it's perishable. It's fading away. They have a time period. They've got a shelf life. They're, imper- they're perishable. But Peter says about the resurrection of Jesus, about the living hope, he says, listen, the mercy of God has given you a living hope, and it is imperishable. It is undefiled. It, there's no blemish There's no flaws. It will not spoil. It will never become filthy. It will always keep its value. And it is unfading. It will last forever. And in case you're worried about how is it going to last forever, it says it is being kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed to us in the last time. God is hanging on, is protecting your inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, never fading. And I don't know what inheritance you think you may or may not have in this world, but it is perishable, it is broken, and it will fade away. But the resurrection of Jesus Christ for Peter, for the early church, launched them into a belief, into an understanding that if we will pursue this living hope, it is being protected for us in heaven. It is waiting for us in heaven. But in order to do that, we've got to quit being nearsighted. We've got to take the blinders off. Instead of just looking right here, we've got to look at a bigger picture. We've got to look past the first three rows of life and look out into the distance. And it is being kept. God has it under control. Verse 6. In this you rejoice. 
In what do we rejoice? We rejoice in the hope of eternity that he just spoke about in verse 3 through 5 that is imperishable, that is undefiled, that is unfading. In this you rejoice. Now he gets real. He's not talking about optimism. He's not talking about the sun will come out tomorrow. When tomorrow the sun may be blocked by clouds. He's talking about a living hope. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You've been through some trials? You're going through some trials? Peter's not sidestepping it. God's word is not trying to step around it and pretend that it doesn't happen. You live in a sinful, broken world. Various trials are going to come your way. Notice his honesty. He had a larger hope in the middle of the trials. If you are grieving, grieve. If you are distressed and it comes your way, don't try to impress people that it doesn't affect you, that it doesn't impact you. Scripture wouldn't call it suffering if it didn't have pain. Scripture wouldn't call them hardships if they weren't hard. Scripture wouldn't call them trials if they were not difficult. But we cling to a living hope, and we can stand in the middle of our our struggle with pain heavy, with our hearts heavy, because living hope will endure trials and produce authentic faith. Living hope will endure trials and produce authentic faith. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be, say that with me, persecuted. For your faith, out of your faith, through your faith. John 16, 33, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Peter goes on to say, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, this tested faith in a living hope by the mercy of God our Heavenly Father, more precious than gold that perishes, though tested by, fa- by fire, may be found a result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him. See, he's speaking to a group of people who didn't see and experience Jesus. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, You believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. The most compassionate, loving people I know in this body of believers are people who've gone through trials, who've gone through and will go through hardships again. But in the middle of those hardships, in the middle of that hope in the dark in the middle of those strongholds that they're trying to move away from they cling to a living hope living hope experiences pain but living hope is anchored to a promise 
The promise is that we have been given the gift of salvation through the resurrection of Jesus. My hope, my living hope is not anchored to an earthly relationship. My living hope is not in my position as a pastor. My living hope is not in leadership of my family or lack of or struggles with. My hope is not anchored in my health. My hope is not anchored in wealth that can be here today and gone tomorrow. My hope, and I pray that your hope is anchored in the same, is anchored in a living hope that pulls me through. It's a living hope that is promised to be protected. It's a living hope that allows us with heads held high, with arms raised, maybe as we are kneeling and struggling in our faith, when our hearts are broken, we have hope. So a question I want us to wrestle with this morning, and maybe you're not wrestling with hope, but I promise you, someone in your life is. Someone in your life is struggling with hopelessness. So a question for you to wrestle with, and then a question to pose to others is this. What are you choosing rather than hope than the hope promised by a resurrected Jesus. Every one of us have a hope in something. We anchor it to something. What are you anchoring to rather than the hope found in a resurrected Jesus? And I would challenge you today that if your hope is anchored in someone or something or some career, that I just know this that it will fade away. What are you anchoring your hope to? What are you choosing rather than the hope promised by a resurrected Jesus? Today, place your hope in a living hope. As you talk about this broken world, talk about it through the lens of a living hope that is promised for each of us. Hopeless, hopeful. Choosing a living hope. Let's pray this morning.